This is Saturday, March 6th, and we're here in the Berkeley Monastery about to lecture on the Avatamsaka Sutra. Welcome to all the Dharma friends who are here on Saturday night in Berkeley to uh, look into the Sutra, especially those of you who are joining us online. Uh, we're on page 89, 88 and 89 in our Sutra text, Basha Ba, Basha I know there are people who've come from far away, San Francisco, San Jose, Marin County, East Bay, Contra Costa, to come and listen to our sutra text. So we're going to go deeply into the Buddha's wisdom tonight. Right up at the top of the page, first paragraph. We'll do the Chinese first. Jiu shi wu dang zhe Suo zhong zhi hui Su chu wo dang de Yi nian sheng huan xi They seek all the wisdom of those incomparable saviors of the world. I will be just like them. 
They save. And this thought makes them happy. Okay. Joshi Wudanja. It's interesting that the Chinese and the English can both fit in the same melodic form, no problem. Uh, in the Chinese, it goes backwards, the order. So the first is the, uh, the modifier goes first and the modified follows. So, the incomparable ones who save the world. Um, this is talking about the Buddhas, of course, and um, talk about when you hear the word "savior." That's a word that's used for Jesus, and uh, that's okay. We'll definitely share it. I don't think Jesus would be upset if that word were applied to the Buddha. In general, um, it's good when you're translating into a new religious form to not use the old religious language because if you say the Savior, my Savior, right away in the West where I first got all of my religious concepts, that brings in a huge amount of baggage. Just all of the other things that go with the word Savior and and uh, salvation and we automatically it's just because our we get trained if you listen for years and years and years you get trained to make associations so that would be something we'd want to look for new language for example if you say for offense if you say sin mm, sin for example for the word zayna, uh is is to be avoided because there's much, much pain involved around the idea of original sin, which comes right with it. Now, this may not be of interest to folks who have never dealt with these uh, concepts, but I guarantee that um, many people turned away from the church because of the notion that they had, uh, they were responsible for something that happened at the beginning of the Christian era and it somehow it, it, it mars their soul. It makes their soul dirty and broken and, and irreparable, except by salvation by another force. So these are big issues. And we try to find fresh ways of looking at it because, in, in fact, do we really understand what the Buddha is saying? 
Mm, the language sounds the same, but who is a an incomparable person who saves the world. What does it mean to to save the world? Literally, saving world. Those two words, no, those are not ambiguous. So, an incomparable savior of the world. Mm. Here's how I make sense of that and, and how the text comes right up to the year 2010. Um, saving is the big deal. That's the key word, to be saved. I'm saved. I have been, I have a savior. I needed saving. Who needs saving? Somebody who's in danger. You think right away of what? Drowning. Okay, you're drowning. You're about to go down for the third and last time and this hand comes down and grabs you and pulls you out of the water. Then you go, <laughs> cough, cough, cough. And you're still alive. Your heart is still beating. Your lungs are still breathing. You've been saved. Okay, right away, you know what that means. Mm, can you compare that to, to somebody who hears the Buddha Dharma and cultivates and mm, has a realization? Oh, I absolutely think so. I would say it works perfectly. Um, in that, in a world where material is what we know, we know the price of what? We know the price of mm, cars. I have friends who can see a brand new 2010 BMW. It doesn't matter what number, and they can tell you the price within about $2,000. We, we know these things. Okay, we just learned them. I grew up knowing the price of beer, tires, TV sets, baseball gloves, right? I knew, I knew between B.F. Goodrich and Goodyear and Michelin and all the different kinds of tires, I knew the prices. I was trained as a consumer. That's something you absorb just through your skin. You don't have to think. So in a world like this, it's hard to put a price on invisible things things that aren't material. Such as, you would say, here's another one of those words, your soul. What price is your soul? Mm, and do we sell our soul? Mm, who, me? Not me. But we sure get invited every day to sell our integrity. Right? We are asked to be loyal to brands. Oh, I'm a, uh, I never put anything but Michelins on my car. I always buy Sony when I go for electronic hardware. Oh, me, I'm a Macintosh user. Not me, man. I love the dark side. PCs over here. Right? Brand loyalty, okay. And then mm, this, the advertisers will tell us a lie to get us to switch brands. And, you know, our product is better. Well, no, it's not. They're all made in the same factory. We know it's not better. So here we are being asked to give our hearts to the marketplace. Funny how this is our world. Okay, so what are we looking for? Do we need saving? Well, not if we don't have a price on our soul. If our integrity, if we can lie and, and not be true, if we can tell the truth and then switch... 
not tell the truth, if we can say, till death do us part, but then we change our minds? What, what's involved there? Well, the sutra is pointing to the value of things that don't weigh anything, don't have any color, don't have any mass, can't buy and sell, such as, let's say, integrity, or say our soul. Sutra saying those things we want to pay attention to. What price tag on your honesty? Mm, very important issue. If we keep on going and don't listen inside, then it doesn't matter much. We can run our whole lives and only kind of face the music. Do you know that phrase? We only have to own up. We know that phrase? We only have to tell the truth maybe at the very end. What do they say? They say that at the point of death, our whole life flashes in front of our eyes. Right? We've heard that a lot. Now, I haven't been at that point, knock on wood, I'm sure I will, because my body's going to give up at some point. They say, many people say, East and West, that right at that point of your soul, your eighth consciousness, this is Buddhist language, is about to leave your body, that every scene that you have done is suddenly just like a movie. So it describes it just like a movie. It goes right by you. And you get to see all the things you've done. Maybe somebody has had one of those near-death experiences and you can verify that that's true. Right at that point, you can't run any further. You can't put it off. You have to look inside. So the sutra is saying, um, here are people who, before they got to that point, decided to take a look. They decided to listen inside. They decided to mm, do their inner accounts. Their, the, they decided to put a price tag on those invisible parts of their lives that was important. And at that point, what you realize is it's really hard to save yourself. There's a great verse that Master Shrenhua used to say, used to give us. He goes, No one saves us but ourselves. No one can and no one may. You yourself must walk the path. Buddhas only show the way. Okay? Hmm. Wait a minute. I just said you realize you can't do it yourself. But this verse says, no one saves us but ourselves. No one can and no one may. You yourself must walk the path. Buddhas only show the way. Okay, a little bit of tension here. If you get to the point where you realize you can't save yourself, but the Buddha says you yourself must walk the path, where do these two intersect? What's being said here? Let's look on here. They seek all the wisdom of those incomparable saviors of the world. I will be just like them, they say. And this thought makes them happy. Interesting. Here's the sutra talking to us. Now, I, I admit that I translated that third line in the first voice, first person. I will be just like them. Who says? The Bodhisattva says so. This place I will get how the Chinese goes. Look at that. There's the sutra talking right to us. 
Some people say, oh, that Avatamsaka Sutra, that is the Buddhist philosophy. Therefore, we can't understand it, therefore we shouldn't read it. That's I've heard people say that. It's an excuse to not open the text. It's too high, too lofty. What's lofty about saying those incomparable saviors of the world with all their incredible wisdom, I want to be just like them. Right? I'm going to be just like the Buddhas. That's really clear. Here's the sutra talking to us in the first person. Right? That's a, a line directly from the heart of the Bodhisattva. It's like opening a window in the heart of the Bodhisattva. I want to be like the Buddhas, says the sutra. And furthermore, when they have that thought, they're happy. They're happy. Okay. So, in the end, take a look. Who saves us? Two voices here. Two. There's definitely two ways of looking at it right in the Buddhist world. There's one empty seat down below here as you guys back and back and back and back up. we got one more to go. Any empty seats beside you, please... Point them out and we'll have people grab them. Okay. Here's a very interesting question for us to look at in the sutra. Today, I don't know if you were all here. Uh, I know some of you were. Um, we had a monk from the monastery where the Pure Land School began come and talk about the Pure Land. This was Master Da'an and he gave a very standard, very reliable, authentic, pure land Dharma talk. That Dharma talk has been given for a thousand years. Count them. Ten times a hundred. That those phrases, that those principles are absolutely the straight stuff. That's pure land Dharma. Same phrases, same principles, same exhortation that has been in the air in people's hearts for a thousand years. Wonderful talk. And I could see people were really digging it. I could really see it. I was here translating and I was watching people's faces and the audience is made up mostly of people who have heard the Pure Land Dharma door before and really like it. And I guarantee if that talk was given on Thursday night, you would have seen... Excuse me, uh, evil world of the five turbidities? You know, that, that Buddha you're talking about, is that just like the Lutheran God? I don't think I want it. Are you going to tell me that I'm going to hell if I don't believe? You know, it's, you know, there's a con Never mind, we won't go there tonight. But I will say that that was a very nice talk today. And people really enjoyed it because the audience, all 120, I think I saw probably 120 people here, are people who have heard the Pure Land Dharma, whose parents have heard it, whose grandparents have heard it. Vietnam, China, Korea, Japan, Amitabha is number one. No doubt about it. So people really, there was a good, good chi. Amitabha is considered a savior. The monk who lectured today probably used the word jietua, liberation, maybe 20 times. Liberation, which means getting free, getting saved. Okay, why was that? The Pure Land Dharma is the Dharma of Ta Li, strength that comes from somebody else. 
Strength that comes from ta, from others. Okay, now, I couldn't resist. I don't know if you saw how naughty I was, mischievous I was today. I couldn't resist. As Master Ta'an was going, chugging down, that train was going down the track, talking Pure Land, he <coughs> came out with the Ta'li, and he criticized Tzili. Okay, he said, you may not save yourself. He, used, he was really well done. He said, in the midst of this heavy karmic obstacles, in the midst of our massive afflictions, who in the world thinks they can possibly save themselves? Who can get Jieto in this time and liberate? And I had to say, actually, the Chan school says you can save yourself. Right? And uh, I, was, I, I shouldn't have done that. That was my editorial comment. Probably if I'd been a better translator, I would have just... Mm, you know, bit my tongue and let him talk. But I had to point out that the Pure Land School has another opinion, which is the Chan School says, no one saves you but yourself. No one can and no one may. You yourself must walk the path. Buddhas only show the way. Okay, pointing out what? Two different points of view. Is one right? Is one wrong? No. Master Da'an said it just right. At the beginning of his talk, stressed, emphasized, you can't strengthize, emphasized and stressed that there are 84,000 methods of practice and every method is designed for somebody else if it's not you. If that method is not yours, for sure there'll be somebody right beside you who goes, oh, I like that. I'll cultivate that. So all those methods of practice are designed for different natures of people. Some people are very analytical. Some people really want to go deeply. They want to understand what's working below the surface. People who like to lift the hood on the car to look at the, hmm, there's the air intake, there's the oil filter, uh -huh, there's the crankshaft, there's the fan wheel. You know, they like to do that. They like to understand. They don't like plug the key and turn it and steer, you know, brake, accelerator. Okay. They want to go deep. They want to understand what's going on. For those people, Chan is the method. You sit, stare, you get quiet, you watch your thoughts rise, you see where they come from, you ask, who's in there? Who's reciting the Buddha's name? You really want to know. You pursue it. You tan, you investigate. You look into it. That's a person who uses zili, self-power. My very own effort is what gets me there. That's the Chan school. And that is a certain kind of person who in general wants to get dirty in there. They want to make sure they understand it and take it apart and put it back together. Take it apart, improve it. They want to do that to their minds, to their bodies. Okay? And you don't have to say one kind of person. That can be you on some days, right? Now, there's another kind of person who doesn't necessarily need to know how it works. They only want to know that it works. And they want to use it. What do they do? They go, Namo Omitofo. I want to ride on that big vow boat. 
that big boat, boat of vows. We heard about that today, the big boat of vows. Sounded really good. Master Da'an has lectured it a lot. And I heard most of the people in the audience say, I'll buy a ticket. I'm on that boat. I'm crossing over. Right? Dao Bian, I'm getting over there. The other shore, on that boat. Those are people whose devotional natures are big. In yoga, it's called bhakti. Bhakti, yoga. You open your heart in devotion. You don't care how Amitabha's vows work. They work. I want to cross over on those vows. Take me to the pure land. I believe it's there. I want to go. Namo Omitofo. Take me to the pure land. That is called Tali. Vince, you got a question? Uh oh, uh oh. Go ahead. Aha. Great. You complexified it for me. Okay, thank you. Very helpful. Appreciate it. Okay, Vince's comment was, it's not so simple. It's not black and white the way I'm painting it, right? The Lankavatara Sutra, which is a sutra much beloved of the Chan school, says that even if you use zili, your own strength, and you're the analytical type, you can't get past the seventh ground without the Buddha's help. Absolutely right. However, the, um, here's the difference, and this is where it gets really interesting. Okay? And I want to point out, we're, we're, what are we working on? Savior. This is all a takeoff on the word Savior. right? The, the incomparable saviors of the world. The difference is this. The seventh, what happens at the seventh ground? Why does the Lankavatara Sutra say that? The Avatamsaka Sutra says the very same thing. Our sutra that we're lecturing. And where will it say that? We're on the first ground. Stick around. When we get between the seventh and the eighth ground, something happens to the Bodhisattva right there. Now, our Bodhisattva has been cultivating along from the they say that the Chufashin, the first resolve on Bodhi, up to the ten faiths, ten dwellings, ten practices, ten transferences, grounds one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Going along. What's above him? Three more grounds and then two more stages. Equal enlightenment, wonderful enlightenment. He's a Buddha. She is a Buddha. So this is the Bodhisattva's path going up, going up. Right at this point, they say, something happens. The, the Bodhisattva gets to a point where their wisdom starts to make the world change, i.e. their perception of the world, which is everything. How you see it is how it really is. What happens? They get to a place where they see that, as they say, no dharmas are born, no dharmas die. Dharmas are neither produced nor destroyed. In other words, they look at these flowers and I, I don't know the state so I can't describe it exactly but they see that these flowers neither came into being nor do they leave. And you go, well, that's nonsense. We know the flowers come and go. They're, they pass very quickly. The Bodhisattva has gone beyond that to a place where reality changes. 
time and space are very, very different. And there are usually two reactions. One reaction is the bodhisattva can get scared and stop. That's, that's what usually happens. Because it's a very scary state to see that even empty space neither exists nor does not exist. It makes you crazy. That's what happens. Bodhisattvas at that point tend to go crazy. Because your real perception, your seeing the way things are, changes profoundly. Right at that point, says the sutra, it's a very neat passage of the sutra, the Buddhas come to the Bodhisattva right at that point and say, good man, good woman, don't quit. Stick with it. It's not what you're seeing. This is just a jingjie. There is much more to go. Living beings are still suffering. Your vows are still at work. Don't quit. Keep cultivating. There is more. You're not at the end of the path. And the sutra describes it. They say that the bodhisattva, when he hears the Buddhas come and exhort him, it's like somebody, it says, who is drowning in a river who makes extra effort, pulls themselves out of the river and they're saved. Another analogy, they say it's just like somebody who is dreaming that they're dying and makes a supreme effort and wakes up from the dream and says, you know, I wasn't dying after all. It's only a dream. The sutra says that's what happened. Without the Buddhas exhorting them, most bodhisattvas would quit right at that point. The other thing that happens to them there is they go into what's called a samadhi where feeling and thought end, which is a dead end according to the bodhisattva path. They put themselves into a state where they don't seek any further progress. They forget their putishin, their bodhi resolve. So, the Buddhas exhort them and they cross over. They get on to the eighth stage, the ninth stage, tenth stage, equal enlightenment Buddhahood. I'll, I'll tell you one more wonderful thing about that. The sutra, and we're going to get there, we'll be there three years from now, so hang on. Don't quit. Stay tuned. Download the podcast. What happens is, they say, right at that point, if the Buddhas come, the way it's said, they exhort them. And if the Bodhisattvas wake up from that dream, pull themselves out of the river, and remember their basic vows. Important word is not to forget their vows. Here's what happens. It's very neat. They say, it's as if, there's an analogy. It's as if somebody took a boat, say a sailboat, put it on their back and walked through the forest dragging a boat over the mountain trails, right, through the trees, dragging a sailboat. Hard, right? You say, dumb, too. Why are you dragging a sailboat? Dragging a sailboat through the forest. And then, that's from Chufashin, that's from the first resolve, to the seventh ground, that's just what it's like. It's that hard to cultivate the Bodhisattva path. 
You're always bumping over logs and hitting a snag and getting to a pile of rocks. It's tough. It's really tough. When they get to the seventh ground and the Buddhas come and exhort them, what's it like? It's like taking that sailboat, setting it down in the lake, hoisting the sail and going across the lake with the wind in your sails. That's the difference from getting past that big crossroads at the seventh ground. What are we talking about? We're talking about wusheng faren, the third kind of patience, which is called patience when dharmas no longer arise. In BTTS, we used to translate a very clunky, we call it the, the non-arising dharma patience or patience with non-production of dharmas, which it makes no sense at all. Patience with non... It's patience when dharmas no longer arise. You see that dharmas are not produced anymore because why? Your perception has changed. The Buddhas say, no, 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 no. That's not the end. Keep going, keep going. Go. Your vows are still real. Living beings still need saving. Keep going. You make the supreme effort. You continue. Take one more step. One more step. And suddenly, oh, everything is different. You put the boat down on the lake and away you go. All the way to Buddhahood from there, they say, is smooth sailing. That may be where that phrase was invented. Really smooth sailing across the lake. Okay, so, Vince, you're right. The Buddha, you need the Buddhas to come and what? Exhort you. But, notice the difference. When it's tali, when it's others' power, what the Buddhas say is, you can't do it on your own. You have to rely on my vows to save you. You keep reciting Namo Omitofu and two things. Again, you can do one of two things. One is you enter a samadhi whereby your mind is Amitabha, your body is the pure land. That's You get to this Ishin Pulan, single-minded, unconfused. Then, those vows, your, your practice of Amitabha is very much like Chan. Okay? At that point, it's very much like Chan, but that's the rare person who can enter that samadhi. Mostly what happens is you recite to the point of Lin Min Jung, right? to the point just before you die. That's what most of, mostly how people get saved. And right at that point, Amitabha shows up. They say, with a golden platform, we heard all the phrases this afternoon, and takes you personally to the Pure Land where you enter a lotus flower, you're reborn. Depending on your karma, the flower opens up, you see the Buddha, you see the Bodhisattvas, and you're there in the Pure Land. So the Pure Land is still ta, is, is Tali, others' power. It's the vows that save you. Amitabha's 48 vows. So that's interesting difference and it's also interesting where they cross over because that Buddha recitation samadhi, Nian Fu San Mei and Dhyana samadhi are very similar. Very much the same. This, your mind when you have entered Chan Ding and the, what is it? Zi Shen Jing Du, Zi Xin Mi Tuo, right? That state of your own body is, is the pure land, your mind is Amitabha, that's very much like Chan. So they cross over. Okay, notice this utterly. Thank you for the comment. I appreciate that. They're not 
much different, but up until, up until that point, they're very different. And that's great. No problem. Sometimes we feel more like the Buddha's, just this great bright light, I want to be like him. Come and save me, Amitabha. I need it. This world is really dark and messy. Right? 8.8. Uh, Did you read that that earthquake in Chile actually shortened the rotation of the planet? Science Friday on NPR yesterday was devoted to what happened in that earthquake and how it changed the orbit of the planet. It was that big. Ira Flato talked about that. Right? It's like, yeah, go look it up. That earthquake was so significant that it actually altered the, it changed the structure of the planet, the, the balance and the weight of it. So our, our orbiting around our own axis, slightly different. Powerful, right? Scary. Did you hear about the 30-foot waves in the Mediterranean? Swamped the ship. Passenger liner was about to dock in Barcelona when a two, three 30-foot waves smashed all the windows in the boat. There are YouTube videos that somebody had their camera running at the time. You go, my goodness, I don't remember the last time there were 30-foot waves in the Mediterranean swamping boats, swamping passenger liners. Our planet is not healthy. We've ruined the health of our planet. It's sick, you know. And so you go, boy, the Pure Land looks pretty good. Amitabha, uh, have any 30-foot waves in the waters of eightfold waters of merit and virtue, Amitabha? No. Let's go to the Pure Land. A little safer. Okay. So, this is, these are the questions when we talk about salvation. Listening to Master Da'an today talk about our karmic situation and our afflictions, he painted a pretty powerful image of a world that is hard to save yourself from. Layer upon layer of greed, anger, stupidity, pride, doubt, the five basic afflictions. Uh, it's really hard. It's hard to get a solid ground at this time. So, even so, there is method. There's a method of seeking liberation and finding it. Who's the savior? Let's just look at the simple story, the Buddhist story, he is someone, Shakyamuni, our historical Buddha, saw his situation. And he saw it suddenly. That's, that's an interesting point. Is what? How come Prince Siddhartha became the Buddha and yet we're, we have the same Buddha nature? It's because maybe, if we think of it this way, he had been in a world where everything was comfortable, everything was groovy, everything was copacetic. There was no birth, there was no death, there was no illness, there were no sighs, no grief, no pain, no mourning, no dead animals, roadkill by the side of the road, no dead birds, you know, none of that. He didn't see flowers wilt. Nobody sneezed. As soon as they did, they were sent to the back of the palace till they got better. The Buddha was raised in a world where there was no suffering at all. And then, suddenly, he saw old age. He saw illness. He saw a corpse. Shocked him. Stopped his world. Couldn't 
hope. Imagine having no clue that people ever suffered at all. And then in quick succession, you see the truth. Old age, sickness and death. Bang, bang, bang. And in your mind, what happens? You go, who's been lying to me, first of all? How come nobody told me, second of all? Three is you go, this is going to happen to me. Shockaroo. Big shock. How do you cope? Well, that was enough to push the Buddha into asking himself, I need saving. Right? Who can save me? Right at that point, aha, if this was a movie, we'd have the music would swell. Right? Here's the cultivator shows up. Here's the cultivator walking down the road, under the trees, through the shade, through the sun, through the shade, through the sun, walking quietly, eyes not looking left or right, right? not checking his email, right? not texting. He's got his bowl, he's got his robe, he's walking along, and he looks very tzuzai. He looks like he has gone to the Buddha's, you yourself must walk the path, Buddha's only show the way. He's already, mind you, he's not a Buddhist disciple, he's just a cultivator, but he looks like he's already figured that out. He has found the way to save himself, whether or not he's saved yet. The Buddha, the prince goes, you look like someone who might tell me whether there's any salvation from what I've just realized. Old age, sickness and death are coming to knock on my door. Mind you, at that time, there was no Pure Land. There was no Amitabha story available. Okay? Nobody had taught it yet. Nobody had spoken it yet. So, this prince, this very intelligent, very blessed, bright, promising, handsome, athletic, scholar prince saw an option. He said, sign me up. Tell me what to do, because I need saving. He saw that he needed saving, that things were not what he had been led to believe. I've been sold a bill of goods, he said. I've been advertised to. I've been bamboozled by my dad, who did a very good job of creating a world where nothing suffered, because dad didn't want him to get that news. Dad wanted to keep him in the dark about the reality of his own life. So he very suddenly said, Oops, hey, I need more information. Where do I go to, to get saved? Okay, he said, I want to be just like them, said Prince Siddhartha. Right on that spot. Now the story goes, as they say that the... Um, that cultivator was actually what they say he was a plant he was an actor they say the story goes that he was a Brahma god he was a god from the Brahma heaven who was sent by the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas to wake up the prince that he came down and assumed the appearance of a monk, of a cultivator, to give the word. 
He was called the fourth messenger. Old age, sickness, and death were the first three messengers there to wake the Buddha up. And then that fourth one, they say, story goes, was uh, he was a disguised Brahma god who came down to say, oh, yes, yes, yes. If you cultivate the way, you too can end birth and death. Follow me. And the prince, right on the spot, said, yes. I'm going to save myself. Interesting, huh? The Buddha had no Buddha to rely on whatsoever. He didn't even have a Dharma. He didn't have the Vinaya, the precepts. He only had his resolve. His intense determination to not simply live to die. That was the big deal for the prince. He said to himself, there's got to be more than this. And it was that sudden, like in your face, teaching of old age, sickness and death that, sh- excuse me, that shocked him to where he said, I got to have a method. There's got to be more than this. This is not all there is. Okay, now we, in 2010, um, have the benefit of 2,500 years of perspective where this information has been um, available. And now, how nice, we've got it. Look how many languages. Did you realize that your text has four different languages in it? What have you got? You have Chinese characters, Hanzi. Right beside those Chinese characters, a little tiny, right? That's called also called It's the phonetic spelling of the character with, mind you, the tone mark. You got the initial, the final, and the tone right there, right beside the character. So there's two. What else do you have? Han Yu Pinyin. You've got the spelling from Nash from the uh, the it's called what's the Han Yu Pinyin is tone is pinyin that they've used the word. So it's P I N Y I N. That's the A B C the romanization of the Chinese character with the tone mark and English. Four methods of delivering us the Buddha's words. Um, That's something Prince Siddhartha didn't have. We have the Pure Land. We have Chan. We have giving. We have mantras. We have sutra study. We have vinaya, precepts. We have karma yoga, working, creating merit. All these different ways of practice that give us the message that the Buddha was desperately seeking. That's really interesting. You know, so you could say, even though this is what's called the Dharma ending age, as our monk this afternoon was telling us, right in the Dharma ending age, we have something that the prince himself didn't have, which is the Buddha's words on ways to save ourselves. Ways to save ourselves. Now, do we really save ourselves? What he was saying, and that's why it's really straight line, pure land dharma, he was saying that um, all the other methods that are there, all 83,999 other dharma doors, are slower, uncertain, and difficult. 
That was, that's the message of the Pure Land. So take them one method, he said. The one method where you horizontally, you hang chu, right? You go through horizontally and you guarantee that you're going to make it. And they have, the Pure Land has all these wonderful sayings, right? A thousand people cultivate, a thousand people succeed. Recite the name of the Buddha. Um, he told a very funny story about his mom who heard that wrong and she heard that a thousand people cultivate and one or two succeed. And yet she, delib- she just stuck to that one. She wouldn't listen to her son and say, no, no, mom, a thousand try it, a thousand succeed. She heard the Chan method. The Chan method, they say, a thousand try it, one or two succeed in Chan. That's a pure land slam at, on Chan, right? So we have these, that's why I wanted to point out the political sides of this argument. Why is that? Well, you have to understand the times. Um, I particularly looked in depth at the Song Dynasty. The Song Dynasty, particularly the 11th century, which would be about right at the beginning. So it was uh, 10, 1027. It was the, uh, the first couple, the first decade of the 11th century. And I looked at a city, Hangzhou, Gusu, Hangzhou in uh, eastern China. And in Hangzhou, what was the Buddhist world like? They say that because the emperor, the, this is when the Sung was still dynamic and vigorous, right? Later on, the Sung got kind of corrupt and decadent. But in the beginning, the Tang dynasty had just fallen about uh, 100 years earlier. So the Sung was still strong and the, the emperor was really involved in Buddhism. Buddhism was king. Taoism had declined. Confucianism was, had transformed, had gone decadent and was being renewed by the Neo-Confucians. The emperor was really into Buddhism. He patronized certain teachers and certain schools. There were 1,000 Buddhist monasteries in Hangzhou, in all the mountains around there, right? Everywhere you went, they say you could just toss a stone and you'd probably ring a bell, you know. Bang! You know, there were bells everywhere. Of those 1,000 monasteries in Hangzhou, how many Pure Land monasteries were there? Versus how many Chan monasteries? Kai? There were 30. How many Abhatamsaka teaching monasteries were there? Right? How many Chan monasteries were there? 900 plus. Chan was king in the early years of the Song Dynasty. People wanted to meditate. Chan was big. They really wanted to Light up your mind and see your nature. On the spot, become a Buddha. Right? That was Song Dynasty. Reciting the Buddha's name, you could find it, but it was tough. There wasn't, it wasn't a popular practice. Amitabha was not ringing from the hills of Hangzhou. Right? Chan was king. Okay, how times change. 
right? The, the battle lines were so clear, it was political, right? The king was a, the emperor was a Chan monk. He had a Chan hall in the palace, right? He had an imperial Chan hall right in the palace. So, flash forward to the Ming. Okay, the Song dynasty came and went. The Yuan dynasty came and went. The Mongols came, and right? Then, 16th century, the Ming dynasty came. Monks, at that point, had become so used to reciting the Buddha's name that there were monks such as Yongming Yanshou, famous Yongming Yanshou. Monks like, well, he, Oyi Dasher was different. Yongming Yanshou, Han Shan Dasher, the monk Han Shan, Han Shan Deqing, they said, yeah, 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 Chan is really good, but you know what? We have to combine it with the Pure Land. You have to both recite the Buddha's name and meditate. So you had what was called dual practice just 400 years later, 500 years later. So China, over all these centuries and millennia of practice, have now stopped fighting and switched, right? They combined Pure Land and Chan. Not at the same time, different times of the year, different times of the day. So we inherited that practice and we here monks of the DRBA would call ourselves Chan monks and nuns. But we do recite the Buddha's name. We recite Guanyin Bodhisattva's name. We bow the Great Compassion and Repentance. We recite the Amitabha Sutra. We recite the Off to Rebirth Mantra. And then we recite, we, we settle ourselves down and look into the Huato and say, who is mindful of the Buddha? We really do practice both. And if you, you know, like the way we practice at DRBA, that's what you've learned from us who learned it from Shurfu. That's what Shurfu taught us. Some of the year, we recite the Buddha's name intensely. Don't do other things. Yet there's still a time when you do what's called Jingang Nian, right? Cross your legs, recite silently. So there's a little bit of crossover. Right? It's not completely black and white again. So, times change. Now, uh, we both save ourselves and depend on others. Right? Zili and Tali. Others' power, our own power. That's pretty much how we inherited it. So, this is how the Mahayana has gone. They seek all the wisdom of those incomparable saviors of the world. I will be just like them, they say. And this thought makes them happy. Interesting, huh? Different natures, different Dharma doors. Okay, I remember on the pilgrimage that I took, Three Steps, One Bow, being proselytized by kind-hearted, vigorous evangelists of a religion we won't name <laughs> who came out to help us get saved whether we were willing to or not they were going to save us by golly and the teaching that we heard mostly was you're wasting your time you can't save yourself don't you realize that our savior sees all of your efforts as 
filthy rags. You can only be saved by grace. You must accept so-and-so as your Savior, and only then can you make it to heaven. You are wasting your time. Okay, I don't mean to make fun of it. That's, I mean, these people really, really believe that works don't save you. Only through grace alone. You have to wait for under nothing. You, they, the teaching is this. You can't work yourself to heaven. Okay, what is this? Extreme tali. This is extreme other power. To the point where any effort you use whatsoever doesn't work. It's filthy rags in the eyes of that Savior. Okay, why do I bring that up? Certainly not to make fun. Certainly not to put our, me superior. To say that, there are varieties of faith. There's a lot of different ways to look at our human life and figure out what to do. In the case of Christianity, particularly Protestant Christianity, the teaching is what? By grace alone. It's only through the kindness of God and His Son, Jesus of Nazareth, that we go to heaven. Okay, why should we talk about that in a Buddhist lecture? It's because most of the world believes that's true. Especially here in the West where that message is really strong. And that's a good message. You know, my mom believes that deeply in her heart and wants to go to heaven on grace. God's grace. So I hope she makes it personally. No, I really do. I don't want to diminish her faith in the least because why she believes it's true. I'm not going to get in her face and say, oh no mom, you have to cultivate. You have to understand karma, cause and effect. You have to be gong you know, set up merit and virtue. You have to understand, you know, light up your mind and see your nature, mom. You know, my mom would say, how do you do that? You know, but where is Jesus in all that? Where is my faith in the Lord? So, fine, you know, to get in, to, to kind of argue religion is fighting. Much better to have my mom with a peaceful, happy, single mind look for grace than to stir up those waters. She really wants to go to heaven. Bless her heart. I hope she makes it directly. Right Now, as soon as my mom says, well, tell me about this Amitabha and this Pure Land, I would say, Mom, recite the Buddha's name quick. Now, <laughs> you know. You know, don't wait. I want you to get to a high grade of the highest lotus. You know, but that's she's already asked the question. Okay, so different kinds of faith, different kinds of salvation, and that's how I want people to look at this text. Right? Who saves us? If you ask me. What's my preference? I like that verse. No one saves us but ourselves. No one can and no one may. We ourselves must walk the path. Buddhas only show the way. But 
Somebody showed the Buddha the way, right? Who was it? That monk who said, there's a way, there's a Tao, you can cultivate it, realize the Tao, cultivate it. You too can answer the question, is this all there is? Am I only here to die? Is that the whole story? You know? You know that song, it goes, freedom to die is no freedom at all. We're not free. The Buddha said, we're in a burning house. Man, this house is burning. You know, wouldn't you like to mm, have your own fire hose? Right? Wouldn't you like to have a swimming pool you could take refuge in from that burning house? Okay, I believe that's the case. That once the Buddha shows the way, that third noble truth, suffering can end. Right? That's the message of the third noble truth. Suffering can end. Once we get that message, we go, show me how. Right? Tell me how to do it. And Buddha's answer is, ah, good, I'm glad you asked. Here's what you do. Precepts, concentration, and wisdom. Suffering can end. You have to do it. But here's the way. Please do it. And the bodhisattvas even more. The bodhisattvas say, yeah, 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 yeah. It's true. You can leave the burning house. Number one, you have to cultivate. Nobody can cultivate for you. That's the message. Okay, now, okay, if you ask me the same question the prince asked the Brahma god masquerading as a monk, as a cultivator, my answer would be, mm, if you ask the question, this, this question comes up all the time, what's the best method to practice? For me, what's my best exit out of the burning house, out of the triple realm? Well, Da'an Fasher has one answer for you. Recite the Buddha's name. Go to the Pure Land. Now, personally, I think that's a wonderful method. Wonderful method. Reciting the Buddha's name. Oops. Um, Michael, my friend. Aha. On the spot. Thank you very much. How about that? Although you yourself must walk the path, if you have a Dharma protector with a spare battery, it helps get you across. Crossover. Okay, I would say that the Buddha's name is a wonderful, wonderful method. It's everything that you heard this afternoon, if you heard Master Da'an, is true. And his exhorting us to cultivate that method, right on. Right on. Master Xuanhua, I'll tell you the story. Um, having reached the city of 10,000 Buddhas and deciding to continue to bow, as uh, Martin, Martin Verhoeven, Hung Chao and I did, we proceeded to bow around the Buddha Hall for another three or four months. Every day, every day, cold, rainy, burning sun, keep bowing. I know every inch of that sidewalk around the Buddha Hall. One day, came around right by the door of the, what's the Wang Sheng Tang, right by what was then the swimming pool, now it's the lotus pond. And I bowed down and I opened my eyes and here were a pair of monk's shoes right in front of my eyes. Like, look up. Oh, it's Shifu. 
I should go. I And something about that moment, I don't know why, right then, I stopped the bowing, I knelt down, and I said, Shurfu, what's the best Dharma door to practice? Same question that people ask me all the time, and I laugh at it every time. I said the very same thing. Shurfu, what's the best method to practice? Shurfu said, recite the Buddha's name. His heart is very compassionate. He said, recite the Buddha's name. His heart is very compassionate. That was Shrifu's answer from a Chan master. So, okay. So, there you go. Good method, huh? There are 84,000. That's the one that Shrifu told me to do. Now, do I do it? No, I don't. I recite Guan Yin's name. (laughs) I'm never very, very obedient. You know, I recite the Great Compassion Mantra. But, you know... I also recite the Buddha's name every day when we do the Amitabha Sutra, but I don't keep it going. I keep Guan Yin's name. Everybody's got their affinities. So one of these days I'll probably ting hua, you know. I'll probably do what I'm told, but not yet. So they say, I will be just like those incomparable saviors of the world. They say that, and this thought makes them happy. Okay. One more point to make on this passage, which is what? Look at what they're saying. What? Buddha. Notice, they're not saying, I'm going to get saved, and I'll be saved. One who is saved. No. I'm going to be just like the incomparable saviors of the world. Notice that point. What is it? They want to become the saviors themselves. What's that? That's the bodhisattva's mind. The bodhisattva's heart. They're not saying, I want to get out of the house, go take a shower, open the fridge, kick back, and you know, watch the Academy Awards. They're saying, I want to become one of the incomparable saviors myself. What a big heart that is. Right? And how different. Here's the point I want to make. If you are raised up in a theistic religion, and that accounts for probably 95% of the world's religious believers, Hinduism, theistic. Islam, theistic. Judaism, theistic. Christianity, including Roman Catholicism, Eastern Catholicism, and Protestantism, all theistic. They've got a Buddha I'm sorry, they have a God, a Theos, right? They've got a savior, a founder, a creator figure. All of those religions that have a creator figure do not teach you that you can become God. That you will one day replace God. To say so is just nonsense. That's heresy. That's just not going to happen. Buddhism says you cultivate with the intent of becoming a Buddha yourself. Now that really appeals to my democratic nature. Right? My deep in the bone democratic nature where, you know, we take part. I can 
think that thought. I would love to be a world-honored Buddha, completely enlightened, all merit and virtue, awake, living being named Buddha, an awakened one. Okay? These bodhisattvas say, yeah, I want to be like them. Who is this? This is a first stage bodhisattva. There are nine more stages to go before they leave the ten grounds and go on to Buddhahood. But how interesting, right? They are cultivating with the idea that they're going to be just like the founder. They're going to be like the creator. They're going to be like the incomparable saviors of the world themselves. How interesting, right? How many of us go to a doctor and he diagnoses us, prescribes the medicine, maybe gives us a shot, and we say, I want to be just like you. Not only do I want to get well, I want to have your knowledge, have your skill, have your kindness, have your abilities, have your sensitivities, have your experience. Most of us don't. I did. I really liked doctor stuff. I wanted to be a doctor. I didn't have the, the ability with science, but I really wanted to heal people. That was something that appealed to me a lot. I actually left my MA program for a couple, a misguided three months before I came back. I didn't get through chemistry. I sat in a lecture hall over what's the hall on the far west side where the chemistry class, the chemistry lectures are taught. I took, I was a grad, second year grad, right? I was just impatient with my Chinese program. I took freshman chemistry and I was in this lecture hall with 300 undergrads, most of them Asian, right? Sitting in the back row watching a TV screen while this tiny figure down on the stage was doing equations on the board and all the hotshot freshman whizzes were there with their slide rules. Slide rules? Anybody have a slide rule? It's in the drawer, right? The back of the drawer, right? Right. With their slide rules going... I didn't own a slide rule. I'm going, I better get back to Durant Hall in Chinese studies. I don't think I'm going to make it as a doctor. I couldn't do it. You know. Man, I completely bombed out of pre-med because I didn't, you know, couldn't do science. Anyway, I wanted to be a healer. So it goes. So I went to Gold Mountain and told Shurfu that I wanted to be a doctor. How interesting. This is what you bow to a good and wise advisor for, right? So Master Shrenhua says, mm, He said, he said, you can. You could be a doctor. That'd be, I wanted to be a doctor myself, he said. But you know, he said, and there's that heavy but, you know, but you know, he said, every single doctor, when the time comes, has to lie down and die, no matter how good their medicine is. Then he said, Nichidawa. 
我当时呢，觉得如果我能做法医，连医生我都会治。你不是想做法医吗？ He said, "I had the same thought, but then I decided, if I could be a Dharma doctor, he said, I could even save the doctors who were trying, who were about to die." Wouldn't you like to be a Dharma doctor? He said. And I went, Uh huh. <laughs> I would. I really think that was one of the moments when I actually made a decision. That was just such a kind and on the spot. Because I had just bombed out a pre med, you know. And I was feeling, feeling like my future had no future. And boy, the next day I went right back to Chinese class and I was writing Chinese characters on the board as fast as I could. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. So, anyway, who saves us? Well, the answer is Amitabha saves us. Right? But you still have to cultivate. So, who saves us? We do. By accepting Amitabha's vows wanting to go to the Pure Land and then reciting the Buddha's name. Or, if you're one of those two out of a thousand, Chan, get in there. Cross over those obstacles. Watch your thoughts rise and fall. Find out the answer. Who's mindful of the Buddha? Answer that question. Chan Huato. Look into it. We're only sitting in a burning house. hot in there. Getting hotter. Anybody believe that the earthquake is not going to happen in the Bay Area? Matter of time. All right, Jason. That, that's a yes? Out of sight. That's faith. Go for it. I don't know. If you asked me that question, I would, I would be hard-pressed. I don't know. I know that the Hayward Fault goes right through the UC Berkeley football stadium. I know. We, at one point, were looking at a house that was for sale. This was before Berkeley Monastery. And it was up on Euclid Street, right at the top of Euclid and Marin. It's actually on the corner. We went down to look at the basement and it's right on the Hayward Fault because Euclid Avenue is the Hayward Fault. And the basement, the <coughs> realtor <coughs> didn't mention this. We went down and looked at the, the basement and it had moved. There was a huge gap in the basement, in, in the foundation of the house that had shifted on the Hayward Fault right there. We looked and said, oh, I'm looking at the Hayward Fault. What do you know? I don't think I'll buy this house. <laughs> Right there, is it jagged like that? We asked the realtor. He said, "It's so obvious. How you know it'll never sell." I just wanted to see if anybody, you know, maybe you'd buy it anyway. So, okay, there we go. So uh, we've got one stanza, and that's not enough. We need to move on here. Shi 
不活死恶名，恶趣众威德，以不贪着我，己意于我所，是诸佛子等，远离诸不畏。As they enter the first ground, they immediately transcend the fivefold fears: no livelihood, death, a bad reputation, the evil destinies, and the assembly's awesome virtue. They attach neither to the self nor to what pertains to the self. These disciples of the Buddha leave all fears far behind. Shudaru chudi, jicha ubuwe. 不惑是恶名，恶趣众为的。一不贪着我，记忆与我所，是诸佛子等，远离诸不为。As they enter the first ground, they immediately transcend the fivefold fears. No livelihood, death, a bad reputation, the evil destinies, the assemblies, awesome virtue. They attach neither to the self, nor to what pertains to the self. These disciples of the Buddha leave all fears. Far behind. Okay, two stanzas that have to do with fear, terror, anxiety, fright.、Um, this ten grounds, first ground, the first ground of the ten grounds is the place where fear comes up specifically as a dharma. And the Bodhisattva approaches it as the. Notice the word here.、Uh, let's see. I'm sorry, I said it wrong. It's not bu wei. It's bu wei. It's, it's fear, fear. I thought it was bu of no fear. In fact, it's the fivefold fears. It's not the fivefold fearlessnesses. The five kinds of fear come up in the first ground very clearly. Here they are: one, two, three, four, five. Five kinds of fear. The bodhisattva leaves them behind. The bodhisattva in the first ground is able to counteract and cure, you could say, antidote the five kinds of fear. They get to fearlessness. Why? The ground of happiness. This is the stage of happiness. The Huan Shi Di. The first ground is called the ground of happiness, and here are the five in our stanza. Right? You remember how we talked about this at great length when we were in the prose section. As they enter the first ground, they immediately transcend the fivefold fears. Now, I'll just go into it again as if it were fresh, as if we hadn't heard it, because I know there are folks here who will be hearing this for the first time. This is very, very interesting teaching by the Buddha. Because he names what he considers the biggest things we fear. Here they are: no livelihood, number one; 
death, number two, bad reputation, number three, the evil destinies, number four, and the assembly's awesome virtue, number five. What is the assembly's awesome virtue? Stage fright. Stage fright. How interesting. Okay, and they're in order. Okay, as from one to the worst to the least. The Buddha says the most frightening thing that people experience is no livelihood. What does no livelihood mean? Pink slip. Now, that's our symbol. You get right-sized. You get downsized. Anybody seen up in the air? Anybody? Only one? Jason? Seen it? Okay, I've seen it. George Clooney? Just go watch for George Clooney, if nothing else. There are two female co-stars, both of whom have been nominated for an Academy Award. They're competing against each other because they're that good. A movie called Up in the Air, I just happened to see it, it's flying, it's up in the air. And what is it about? It's about a man whose job is to go fire people. He, he works for a company that, he's a, what are they used to, um, not a headhunter. Headhunters look, try to hire you. He's called, uh, is there a name for that? He's a letter goer. What is it, Jason? He's a layoff specialist. Or a layoff engineer, right? He goes around to the company. His his company is the people you hire if you have to downsize your workforce. In other words, fire people. You know, the boss doesn't do it. You hire somebody to go to your company and let those employees know that they have new employment opportunities in their future. You're fired. Okay. It's amazing because they, it's very well written. It's a well written movie. And they show the reactions of these people who have just been told that their lives are in danger. Their very livelihood is now threatened. And there's probably 20 reactions from the Detroit, the big big man in Detroit who's, you know, in his late 50s. He's just, he's rough. He talks like that and they, the expert comes in and lets him know he's been fired. He dissolves into tears. He just starts to sob. He just turns into mush. Because he knows he can't be retrained. He's 50 years old. You know. And then there's the one woman who commits suicide when she's been told she's let go. There are the people who get and who get really aggressive and angry, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's really interesting how the camera goes right into these situations of people who've been told they're fired. And it's it's interesting film because of it's uh, uh, an exploration of what does it mean to face this first fear? No livelihood. You've been canned. All the plans you have in your life, kids in school, mortgage, 
Car payments, parents, right? Sorry, company's got other plans for you. The Buddha says that's the scariest. Okay, people who, right? You know, literature, you've read about it, you've seen, read novels, you've seen films. People who are very nice people, very proper people, who never ever would consider stealing, ever, would never ever consider harming anyone, when the time comes and the choice is to feed their children or their parents or their spouse, will go steal and kill to get what they need to feed their family. Right? That's a fear. Wait, the fear of no livelihood. Fear of not being able to survive. Maybe not for you, but for your family. Mm. Okay, interesting. Now, here we are in, you know, the uh, affluent Bay Area of Northern California. My guess is when every one of us here tonight and probably those people hearing me online, when the lecture's over and you're back in your kitchen, you open that refrigerator, you probably have a lot of choices of your midnight snack, right? Most of us probably have a choice of food to eat. If it's not in the fridge, at least it's something that you can, you know, heat up some pao mian, right? You can boil some water and have some noodles, no problem. Or you can find an all-night takeout or something. So, there are more people in the world tonight who don't know where water is found than those who know have a variety of food. Okay, you know the story. So, fear of no livelihood, no way to keep our bodies together or our families, that's a motivator that will put us into action to mostly to uh, do whatever it takes to survive. How much the more does that mean? You know, if we get we have a job and we lose it. This this way includes people who don't know where tomorrow's food's coming from. Um, it's something to watch. You, uh, most places in India, for example, if you go out to a, a public place like a, a, a monument in India or a tourist place and you get out of the bus, get out of the car, mm, show your Western clothing, doesn't matter what color your skin is. If you look like you came from the first world, you are surrounded by people who don't have tomorrow's food. And they put their hand up and go, in your face. And there's not one of them, there's 20 of them. And I say, I'm a, I'm a monk, I don't have any money. You eat, we don't eat. I want food. It, suddenly you go, oh, I haven't eaten with enough appreciation of the fact that food's in the bowl. When you meet people who don't have food, you go, oh, how can I be careless about wasting food? How can I be picky about how it tastes?
I have food. Different. Change, go out and see the reality of the world. You go, oh boy, the fact that I have food tomorrow is a huge, huge blessing. If we don't have that way right this minute, figure you have planted blessings in the past. Okay, so these are the five-fold fears. Really powerful stuff. This is the Buddha's description of what moves people most. Fear of not having a way to survive. Survival. You could translate this as survival. That would be the first way to buho away. Survival. Number one. Deep instinct. Instinctual power. If we can live without fear. Okay, one more word because our time's up. How about people who, what do you say to people who say, I'm going to set out in the world without any guarantee that tomorrow there's going to be food in my bowl. And I don't worry. You would be looking at the Buddha's Sangha. Right? People who walk knowing that tomorrow they're going to go out into the village with their bowl and we'll see. Maybe people will put food in the bowl, maybe they won't. Every day, Dashing Fasher and I are here at the Berkeley Monastery and at about 9.30, we don't know who's going to come, what they're going to bring. If somebody's going to come and what they're going to bring. And we know that if it's 11 o'clock and nobody shows up, we go, let's see, let me find Gojian Gohua's phone number. Gojian, YC, Gohua. <laughs> Uh, let's see, uh, how are you? <laughs> you know, it's 11 o'clock and it's the Dharma master on the phone. Oh, no problem, no problem. They're a little late in traffic. Okay, okay, okay. Panyan. Right. Oh. In, in principle, the Buddhist Sangha are like those people who can look at the Bu Huawei and go, probably somebody will bring food today. If they don't, mm, you know, Maybe my blessings didn't deserve food today. So, interesting to push that boundary, right? Push that button. What do you do when you don't know where food's coming? Fear. Scary. Okay, we will continue with the next four fears next week. Please stay tuned because this is powerful. Not only does it list them, it lists what to do. What the Bodhisattva does to transform those five fears. Very cool. Deep Dharma. Very neat stuff. So we'll see you here next week for the next four fears and their antidote. This afternoon after Master Da'an's Dharma talk, I picked up the guitar for the dedication of merit and I have to say I was kind of listening to it with the ears of a monk who's never heard a Buddhist monk play a guitar before and he's never heard an English language uh, Buddhist song and I thought this guitar sounded really good. I don't know about you but I really like the way this sounded. Maybe it was because the Pure Land Dharma sounded so good too that 
anything after that would sound good. Maybe that's what it was. But I really liked the way this sounded. And I, I, I especially liked hearing a hundred voices sing back. You guys only hear who's behind you, right? I get to hear all of you every time you chant this, this song. And it sounds really, really lovely. It was especially good this afternoon. So please make a wish and send out your merit. There's much suffering in the world that could benefit from your dedication. Because our hearts are one, this world. 